0: Welcome to More About Officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards One Australia Territory, host Captain Matt Reeves is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today. Okay, well, thanks again for joining us. It's uh, good to have your company. And if you listened in last week, uh, you would know that we're on part two this week as we chat with Captains Diane, Pete Hobbs uh, from the Bellarine Peninsula. Someone asked me during the week, where is the Bellarine Bellarine Peninsula? Um, It's near Geelong, so it's about um, 80 kilometres west of Melbourne. So it's in Victoria, but it's on a really beautiful part of the country. Um, So if you've been to Geelong, then it's kind of just near there. Uh, This week we're talking about being a missional community. Uh, Candidate Paul Trotter is going to prompt them with some questions again um, as we listen to the stories of what God is doing uh, down there and, and, and really uh, kind of encouraging all of us to think creatively about how we make the reality of Jesus known in all the communities in which we live, work and play. So let me
1: hand it over to Paul. As officers, as officers of Salvation Army, do you feel like you're actually supported by the wider community within the Salvation Army?
2: I'd say definitely. You know, the whole time we've been here, uh, we 've had the support of the territorial leadership, now the national leadership, so our leaders have been wonderful, and that not only in their words but in their actions so uh, some of them have not quite understood what the heck 's going on here how do they, where are these people coming from? How are they changing what 's going on? They have not understood that, but they never got in the way of it they 've always been very supportive. I'd like to thank them for that actually because without their support, this could have died quite quickly, yeah.
3: We're both quite internally motivated and we don't really need to be checked on a lot, like as in micromanaged or anything. We we kind of get on and just do what we need to do. But we have a great divisional team. They are, for me, like who does all the finances, uh, they're my team. In our experience, we've had a lot of um, divisional and territorial support, which
1: is great. So obviously you guys have a lot of support from outside the army, but at the same time there's going to be obstacles that you guys have to face. What are some of the biggest obstacles you guys believe you've had to face and how do you handle those obstacles when they come along?
2: Well, I think we kind of answered that in that (laughs) Jesus modelled the reality, right, and he's gone before us. And I think some of the obstacles, well, many of the obstacles that we've had, he's had already too. So there's organisational things that have been a challenge, you know, because it's a cultural disconnect or it's a movement blocker, or there's been stuff that's within the organisation that is is preventing people from getting into the the movement quickly. For example, um, someone's life is transformed by Jesus but you can't actually... Start doing ministry until you're in uniform, for example. those types of movement blockers we've we've kind of removed um and and just journeyed alongside them and mentored them and seeing them step into the reality of God
3: when people come into faith or something or or are part of your congreg- like congregational community often roles can potentially be allocated to them like to fill roles whereas actually one of the things mm. that we we don't really have roles to fill so often we'll have people come to us and say oh i really want to become a part of what you're doing and what would you like us to do? like what would you like me to do what would you like us to do if there's a couple and and often we'll just say, You need to go and pray about it, actually, and come back to us with what you feel God is saying to you. And I think that's a bit of a difference, too, isn't it? Mm. Like, of actually, it actually internally motivates someone to one, start praying about it, that God's actually going to reveal it to them what He wants them to do. do. And He's already, <laughs> and He's already, often, he, He's obviously already, you know, moving in their spirit already mm. and stirring them in the way um, of, and often, sometimes it will take, you know, a couple of years of us actually throwing it back to them and saying, "Actually, you know, you need to be praying about this. Pray through." And and eventually, when they'll come back, they'll go, "I know what it is now. I I believe that this is what God's calling me to." And and it's then that they're released to do that, um, and they stay at it because we haven't assigned them the role; they're internally motivated. And God actually empowers them to complete what they've. he's he's asked them to do. So once again, it actually isn't about us. It's about trying to get people to actually tap into what God has called them to do and be.
2: That in itself is a miracle that people then go, oh, yeah, I've heard God. Or not not like a voice, but they've had a strong sense with inside that I really I really feel it's this. There's a lot of intuition or I like to say serendipitous moments where they they have a connection with God. They can't explain it, and, but they have a strong sense that it is God because it's good. And that's tested, you know. So we say, well, okay, if this is what you're wanting to do, how's it going to happen? And then we put it back onto them.
3: There's all these people that have never had a relationship with God before, like never prayed, never read the Bible or anything. And so they're actually learning to pray and then respond to, to God. And it's tested, like it's not suddenly like,
2: you know yeah, so there's a there's a sense that you can't refute that this has happened. Mm. You know, like that one lady was talking about how um, I was, you know, we'd built a relationship with this lady only for a few weeks and she shared some stuff about what was going on in her life, um, a, uh, an issue that was very close to her heart and she was down at the beach one night and she was crying out to the universe is what she said, you know, crying out to the universe for a sign that, that there was going to be life, that there was going to be hope for this particular circumstance. And just at that time, she said that all these bait fish jumped out of the water. It was like jump, 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 jump. And in her soul, in her spirit, her words were like, I knew that there was life. And I said to her, well, do you know what the fish symbolises? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, the fish Throughout, you know, the last two thousand years at least has been the symbol of, of, of Jesus, uh, you know, a follower of Jesus. Perhaps Jesus is telling you, he's with you, and there is life. Don't be afraid. And she's like, well, if that's the case, he's been talking to me for two and a half years, and I'm just going. It was just that cognitive moment where she went. She'd grown up going to Sunday school and stuff, and disconnected from religion. But she had this strong sense, what, 30-odd years later that someone was calling her, was talking to her and, and it was a good thing. It was something that gave her peace. And then when we joined the dots that it was Jesus, it was like, oh, well, he's been chatting for... So it's all a reality. I mean, it's not like you have to convince them. It's not like you have to teach them the theory and then it becomes a reality. They're exp- like what Jesus did, there were signs and wonders and then he explained to them what was going on. So that's kind of very much what happens.
3: And so. also like the other um, parable that was really important to us and probably foundational to like our um, leadership here is that is the parable of the sower and mm. um, and the seed. And that, you know, really with Luke 10 and like that was the second passage that was really, really important to us, that really you know was paramount that actually the reality of ministry is that is just like the parable of the seed and um and to get to get used to that and actually not afraid that you know we're all on a journey together none of us really know the answers realistically people are going to coming come and go everything is fluid now and and not and not expect that people are suddenly going to sign up to your to your church or your core and or your community and be there forever. But, but I, actually what happens is often they do. But anyway.
2: I don't think they're signing up to an institution. They're not no. signing up to a club. Mm-hmm. They're signing up to a cause, like not C-O-R-P-S, C-A-U-S-E. They're signing up to the cause because they're seeing something going on and they want to be part of it. Yeah. So it's not an institution they're going, oh, yeah, I want this. It's come back to it again. It's it's a reality that they want
1: for their own lives. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes just to, to remind ourselves that we're actually planting the seed and yeah. we've got to allow Jesus to allow that to grow. Yeah, And as you said, sometimes they come and go but we, as long as we're planting that seed, I think that yeah. is another thing that also helps.
3: And I think initially in early days I used to, I, maybe it's a little bit of the shepherd in me too, like I'd be worried about my, like, where's my little sheep? Like are they going? Ast- like are they going? Where are they? Like I'd, you know, and... And yes, there's an element of that, but there's also the reality that God's in control, and actually He works in ways that we can't understand, and 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 people will come and go. Like there were people, as I said, that have that kind of potentially dropped off the scene for a little bit, and then a little while later, they suddenly came back with these encounters, and and it's you can't contrive every anything. You can't kind of put people on this as I said linear pathway either it's it's kind of messy and not organized and um, you have to invest but also believe that God is also invested as well and at the end of the day it's not just you it's not just God it's also that third person too so
2: I think for myself the evangelism style right is not having to convince people of Jesus the way we do it it's more obviously it, it's more often than not me paying them out. Like someone would say, I've had this experience. I'm like, you don't believe in that rubbish, do you? And they're like, what? No, seriously, this has happened to me. Like I've had, I've had this encounter with God and I'd just push back saying, really? You really believe? You expect me to believe that today? And and you go, oh, you're a minister of religion. Why are you talking like that? But the reality is so real for them that that you can't, that they're convinced and sold out to it. So it's not
1: something that's being made up. It's and, a reaction that you get from them. Yeah. yeah.
2: And and so they're kind of convincing me that, it, that they're genuine. And I, again, I've never experienced that before either. You know, evangelism was always trying to convince other people. But when they're experiencing a reality for themselves,
1: it's so exciting. Yeah. So obviously with the connections that you've got and all that sort of stuff, obviously in the school um, and people coming to you and going, this is what um, God's calling me to do. How do you guys discern whether you're going to start a program or finish something that maybe you're already beginning, um, you know, because some people can actually find that quite hard?
3: Actually, um, our family gathering in St Leonard's where we first started, which Pete spoke about earlier on, uh, that was at the school um, that kind of was – the catalyst for the whole of the Ballarine Peninsula plant. That was in a primary school and we had a lot of families and, and primary school age kids that were a part of that family gathering and it became apparent after a couple of years that those kids were actually, you know, moving on from primary school into high school, which was in another town and on the peninsula. And we, we spoke to, you know, our leaders at the time but also decided that it's probably... You know, time to f- finish that, and that's been a really great time for us. Um, but also, we're moving into something else, and and that's actually when we started our youth group. Uh, we also got a car donated. It started our Salvo resto. We had a, f- a you kind of know when things are ready to go, and and not be afraid to actually just go. That's fine.
2: There's a sense that it's they're being called into something else, and a lot of those those parents that were at that first gathering in St. Leonard's were then stepping up to become volunteers in our thrift shop. And for some of those people, you know, they'd never worked. Some of those people they'd never even they'd been stuck in their bedrooms for years because of trauma and grief that's happened in their lives. So these people were finding healing, restoration, salvation practically and holistically. And that, and that gathering initially was really helpful for them, but then they stepped into becoming leaders within our community and they've gone on and they're still there to be and leaders. And one of those
3: women is now one of our managers at our shop. So, yeah. yeah, and
2: she's, she's brilliant and doing a really great job. So it's just, yeah, like Catherine Booth's principle of adaptation is so relevant today. You have to adapt. But it's not necessarily about the program. It's, a, it's all about the people. And it looks like a program because it's regularly happening, but realistically, it's just a, a community of people getting together to celebrate. And now, then they've moved into now. I I feel like I need to be involved in this ministry, and that was the op shops and so and different things like that. And that's kind of all how it's gone.
3: Junior soldiers yeah. is also a great example of that too. So we we ended up like. Lots of things have emerged and we, we um, from St Leonard's we did start Junior Soldiers and um, and we were doing the curriculum and everything like that. And over time um, it became apparent that there were a, a, quite a few kids like I was aware of within the group that, you know, had had problems like that they were facing in their every, normal everyday life, you know, broken families, trauma, trauma stuff happening at school, all the stuff that they were just really trying to grapple with. And it just happened that I was at the same time reading through some, you know, um, child trauma um, stuff which was uh, a study from Bruce Perry who's a renowned child psychologist. But why I say that is um, he re- he wrote this book called, uh, oh, he's done a lot of clinical studies but oh, this this one book was um the boy who was raised as a dog, and it's a book about these clinical um, scenarios, uh, clinical cases that he oversaw, and um, it unpacks all of these, and, and with all his, his expertise and everything in this field of child psychology and trauma and um, the, the development of the brain, and um, what he came to conclude was that what people need to develop and m- mature is Love, nurture, and trust, and and as this one day, as I was doing junior soldiers, and I was trying to teach them, and they were running around, and they were trying, they weren't listening, and they were bored. I was bored. Do you know what I mean? I can't, I had this kind of epiphany moment where I was just like, "This is not working. This is not what they need. What they need is my presence, the reality of Jesus, just here with them." For me to sit and listen to them, and just to be with them, and to connect with them, and not necessarily teach them a curriculum that they get every week. Like it's it's actually just being a a presence with them, a a strong role model, and teaching voice in their life. Like, and um, that for us actually really changed, like, changed how we do. Like it's, I think one of the principles of leadership is actually just. What What is required of us right now? And often in leadership we can get into this kind of like mouse wheel thing where we just keep doing what we've always done because we, it's always been taught of us and this is what's expected and this is, you know, and we're not actually engaging the brain and looking at what we're supposed to be doing and going, is this actually working or is something else needed in this moment or should we just not do this anymore? Like, you know, and I think it's just actually... We just have to engage the brain a lot and go, is this what's required of me now? Or is there something else that I can be doing that's a lot more beneficial? And, you know, we've gone from, like, trying to control these crazy kids to, like, now we're still doing the same. But, like, we have more kids than – because we just – we really heavily invest in them. They – we just do things that are just so basic,
2: and we have fun from this
3: train. We have fun with them, but we also intentionally. So literally, we what we do is we just them. spend time with them.
2: Yeah, we, just connect, we them. just
3: connect with them, and walk with them, and listen to them, and
2: create memories with them. You know, we take lots of photos, and you know, a lot of the kids that we connect with, um, looking back through their Facebook, you know, pretty much all the photos that they have on their on their Facebook. Are photos that have been taken at Salvation Army stuff because people and their families have not taken photos of them. Do you know what I mean? So that in itself, all their memories that keep coming up in their Facebook memories are photos that were taken through Salvation Army camps or different things like that. So that's making memories is a big thing. Um, and just but proving Jesus- to people that we can be trusted, that Jesus can be trusted, and at the same time... Um, them, the, the mental health benefits for them of having that safe environment means that they can open up and talk and trust again and that really is...
3: But just not true. hanging out and having fun, which is also really great, but actually injecting Jesus into their reality. So when we actually stop and we just go for a walk in nature and ground them in nature... Um, they then expose themselves like that. Not expose themselves, but like as maybe, in.
2: Maybe state that. <laughs> yeah,
3: but when they do that, they actually share themselves with us. You know, they become vulnerable and they become, they trust us and there is this really, you know, great relationship and, and bond that forms that's almost like a second parent to them. Like, you know, they want to be with us. They want to, you know, it's not this like I'm here to teach you. It's here to actually, I'm I'm here to walk with you. Help me to walk with you and help me, like, help me to be the one that will help. Like they're often asking how, you know, to direct their path. Like, do you know what I mean? We're the ones that will help them walk through and navigate the hardest parts of their lives. And
2: and now is like we're on the chaplain in the local primary school and that's all we do is that same curriculum of coming alongside the kids, listening to the kids um, and empowering the kids to 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 make changes in their lives that they're passionate about. But, yeah, it's building those relationships and trusting relationships just creates a, a, a nurturing space for kids to get well, for kids to, to trust. And many of those kids that we're connecting with are starting faith journeys, not because we're, like, proselytising, but because they're experiencing trust. They want what we've got. They're asking, why are you so nice? Like, why... Why do you guys care for me? Why are you telling me that you love me? Like, like they're not all verbalizing that, but you can you can see that those are the issues that they're they're wrestling with. And when we tell them that it's about Jesus, they like they don't really understand what that's about either. But they're like, I'm beginning to trust, I'm beginning to trust. And they're so some of these kids are actually going, you know what? I want I want this Jesus guy in my life because if if this is the type of life that or this is the, the experience that I'm getting, I really want Jesus. I really want this. So it's comes back to the New Testament again. It's just the signs and wonders and then explaining it.
3: And their lives become the platform for the
1: introduction of Jesus. And then not a
3: curriculum. Like does that make sense? Yeah. So
2: they become the yeah. signs and
1: wonders too for their family. And everyone else around and them. And everyone else. Yeah, definitely. So obviously you guys have do a lot of mentoring by the sounds of it, investing in in people, showing them what Jesus is like. What do you guys do to relax just to sort of, you know, obviously you're going to have to have some some downtime because you can't always be constantly on the go. But what do you guys do to, just to, to relax, to to sort of get yourself away from that sort of stuff?
3: Uh, I really love relaxing. <laughs> no, so uh, we're really fortunate around here. Uh, we've got some great beaches. So, but I walk often, um, down at Point Lonsdale. I walk and pray a lot. Um, I also have this kind of current fetish for Portuguese tarts and coffee. So <laughs> I, I eat a lot of Portuguese tarts and, and drink a lot of coffee, but, um, I also do yoga as, as well and, um, practice, you know, meditation, meditation in the form of yoga, but not yoga as far as, but more prayerful meditation of, um, just being still and I journal a lot Um, but walk a lot too, yeah. So walking, yoga, meditation.
2: I love sitting around fires, like campfires, and just taking time out just to reflect and unwind and... um,
3: you watch a lot of those U.S. kind of
2: yeah. Like, I like watching a lot of U.S. Colbert. political commentaries. <laughs> who, it's
3: David
2: Colbert. But, uh, no, Stephen Colbert. Oh, Stephen Colbert.
3: See, I don't even watch Stephen Colbert oh, and um,
2: John Oliver. Are like, if you watch them, you'll go, "What the heck are you watching them for?" Because there's a lot of language in it, but it's it
3: satire of
2: modern. And there's <laughs> a lot of political um, satire, and um, I don't know. It's, I I see it as important to stay relevant to current issues as well to be able to engage, pray for that and to that. engage with that in the in a setting in for, an
3: informed way i yeah, have to say
2: in an informed way <laughs> yeah. just without... not just um you know just be this christian that bangs on from the sidelines but yeah. so that that um, i used to go surfing but i haven't been able to do that much actually
3: paddle boarding i really like from
2: that, my broken I can't leg wait for like- but I actually love still editing videos, and I love making little videos with the kids. That I love doing that with the kids, and, and
3: I really love traveling the world. So, like, we're going on holiday soon, so he can edit all the videos because we yeah. take lots of footage while we're away. So, we make lots <laughs> and he of can make lots of videos, promo videos
2: for New Zealand.
3: Yeah, we love traveling a lot, yeah.
2: actually. So yeah, but lots. of I would
3: holiday all the time if I could.
2: We edit. like camping. We don't get to do that enough. I think yeah. I think more and more the downtime is is just being in nature.
3: Yeah, rainforests, water, Mm. paddle boarding, walking by the beach, yeah.
1: You kind of touched on this um, in your style of Relax, but how do you guys keep your relationship with God healthy?
2: Well, I think the relationship um, grows through obedience. So not so much how much information I know about God, it's more about, seeing God at work. So when I feel like God is calling me to do something and I follow that lead and then God starts to show up and I start to see like little, um, I see evidence of Jesus working and I can't understand what it is but I start to explore those leads. For me, it's that act of obedience that actually stimulates my faith because it makes me go, God is working right. So it's a constant, it's like a, it is like a fire. So it's a constant little spark that would turn into something. And what I really love is being vulnerable in community around people and being so dependent on people, knowing that God is already there. That energises me because everything we need for the kingdom to expand is right at our fingertips. Like the resources are in the people, it's in the harvest. So that... When when I'm engaging in ministry, that absolutely energizes my faith, and God shows up in, and speaks through the most simplest of people with such profound truth, which makes me go, "What? How? How did you do that, God?" So it's the wonder of God, in in reality, that stimulates my faith. You know, I, I don't need to be necessarily fed by someone. Um, I can feed myself, um, but the feeding isn't always um, information. It's a lot of experience too. So reading the, the scripture is, is really important, getting lots of scripture, but at the same time seeing the scripture in action is what energises me. So seeing Jesus at work is what energises me.
3: Yeah, and I'd say the same for that. But for me...
2: Ditto. <laughs> did I, good, Ditto. Good.
3: Well done. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I think also, for I mean, uh, to energise me though, like uh, is that? Yes. And also, as I said, like I, I really, I think it's easy to, to just be busy and actually it's important that you still have time for God to speak to you and to allow allow yourself and, and time. And for, for me, that means actually I remove myself from community to, you know, to unschedule myself for, you know, a morning to go walking and praying. Um, that for me is really important. To pray and walk is really important because that's really when I start to... Because I think a lot, everything gets caught in my brain and it, it actually ha- helps me to unravel all of that stuff and to really get that processing out and for then to God actually to put things into perspective and then speak into me what He really wants for me in that in that moment, if that makes sense. So I find that if if I just keep going and going, which you know can sometimes happen, where you over you do over schedule yourself. I can become quite in my head where I'll have so many things just going on. Um, that even if I'm even if I pray at home or as I'm going it's not the same for me as as real long walks and and um, and praying that out so yeah
2: actually a thing I've started to do recently is is um, video log so whenever I'm in the car I just start I turn on the camera and just start sharing thoughts that might be going through my mind so it's instead of journaling it writing it down I just video log it and I found that's been uh, helpful for me too to just get stuff out but I think most of the downtime is getting stuff out it's it's working it's trying to find out what God is doing and letting go of myself and as I keep saying to everyone it's like an emotional dump it's an emotional toilet where and a spiritual toilet you know the physical the body is is the is the Reality or the example of, of God and the ugly part of us physically is that we have to get rid of the waste that comes into us and I think often we, we, we talk about growing and putting the stuff in but the important, just as important, is getting the rubbish out um, and, and getting the emotional stuff out and the spiritual stuff, the junk out and, and that's something that I think and a has, healthy
3: way of doing has been it, yeah. neglected.
2: In the organisation, that's a good thing about the Catholic Church. You know, the whole idea of confession, and and I I spend off many many hours just sometimes yelling, um, screaming
3: at a paddock, <laughs> not at people, <laughs> not at people, <laughs> yeah, no, just, just at God park. or
2: in a car, you know, yelling and and honestly venting, on the venting, on mower, <laughs> honestly venting the rubbish that's in my life, like that's. Holds holding me back or the, the frustrations that I have or um, the crazy people in my life, like just having it out, like honest conversation, just like David did in some of the Psalms, you know, like just the honest raw emotion, I think. Just as much, as I said, just as much as putting stuff in, you have to get it out. And it's in that getting it out, gosh, it's just as good as being on the toilet, the relief you get when you've when you've got. Did you
3: just actually. <laughs> ironically. No.
2: <laughs> no, I didn't miss my foot. But, but that. And it, but it's really helpful even for little kids to hear that. You know, you need a, you need a spiritual toilet. Go get it out. And they're like, what? And prayers. Because we don't even talk about it. It's disgusting. We don't talk about that. But getting it out is important. So for me, if it's by a fire or, or at the ranch,
3: I've had a spiritual director as well. So ever since I started I've always had a spiritual director and that's merged into a coach that's merged into but at any one time I'll have a like a a spiritual director or I have I currently have a like a professional coach but um yeah I I find that really helpful so to be able to just you know offload onto got, to someone go through it, challenge some of your ideas and
2: Yeah, I got a supervisor as well your theology. someone who I was just share too and I've made sure that our, our new um, employee chaplain, he's got a supervisor too so he can go and vent about the crazy officers and, and uh, he's got a safe place to be able to go and and just get offload the stuff as well. Because trying to teach those practices, that, that is really, really important. It's not just about making things grow, it's about letting things die.
3: And I think, I think it's also really important as an officer, to say no as well, learn Mm -hmm. to say no, not just say yes and actually go my mental health is really important. Like my balance, my, you know, in order for me to actually perform well in my role, I need to eat well, I need to exercise well, I need to sleep well and I also need to make sure that I just don't work so much that, you know, other things miss out, those things that are really important. Like I, I quite quickly like a few years into ministry realised just how important eating well, you know, sleeping well and um, and exercising were and if those things even, you know, you start eating rubbish food or you start like working long hours and then eating rubbish food and then not sleeping, like it just compacts, you know, and then you you suffer, so you act. You do have to be quite disciplined. It's good that that's one of the fruit of the spirit: self-discipline. Is actually, it is really important. You know, it's it is really important. So, and as I said, it's great having kids because they often call you to that. So, and
2: any, any yeah. other questions? Because we've been going for an hour and thirty-seven. Finished. Oh, Hang on, I'll got just got check others. to see if there are any <laughs> any others to
3: Oh, uh, yeah, there's one question that I want to just bring up, which is the conflict of vision. So uh, we mentioned at very question to die. <laughs> we had this laugh. So actually um, when we... Became when we came here, um, Pete kind of had this vision for here, uh, which he kind of mentioned, which was you know the Luke, Luke Ten kind of model, going to community, growing faith wherever life happened. We kind of had this picture of what it might look like on the Ballerine Peninsula, which was multiple communities of faith scattered throughout um, the Ballerine Peninsula. Um, yeah, growing life wherever, um Yeah, growing faith wherever life happened, and those communities would most probably look very different from each other and not necessarily come together all the time. Um, That's actually eventuated. So, I mean, we try not to bring all our people together all the time except for a few gatherings, which is probably Mm. different um, in our setting than lots of other settings. We don't have one major gathering each week. We have multiple gatherings across the peninsula and and then we we bring everybody together um, a couple of times a year to share stories and enrol people.
2: And that's because we trust that... God is growing people. God yeah. is the one that's making people grow and raising people up and he's proving that.
3: And we keep people in their own environments, not necessarily they have to come together. But um but in that actually I just want to tap into the vision that um you know that God gave us. He really stirred up a lot of things and changed us a lot in that in that year when we were at college. But He gave Pete one vision and me another. And at at first, I really questioned that because I was thinking, if we're going to be planting, so I never felt that we were going to be planting, except that I kept hearing these you know external voices yeah. going, "You're going to be planting one day." Like, so I need a lot of confirmation. And then, and Pete had this vision and. Um, but I had been given another vision actually that was quite different. And I, I often question why God would give me a different vision. Like why is it that, you know, if we're really supposed to be doing this, is this the way of God, why wouldn't He be confirming that to me? Um, by giving me the same vision. And actually the vision that God gave to me was actually that we were to only work very very closely with very few children, actually. Not even adults, but just very small. Amount of children, no greater than twelve, actually in this mm. in this thing. And I was like, oh. And and it, very early on, it was you will have a children's ministry, and um and that it is only to be to small amounts of numbers, right? And um mm. and that was that was it. That was pretty much it. And actually now, as we're moving into our, nearly our eight, eighth year, have we got a, a really significant children's ministry? Not just to the children and, and youth that we've actually watched you know, grow from our children to youth now into young adults. We've we've planted them there, which was, has been great to watch. But also now we've got, um, you know, a child trauma um, therapist and yep. family therapist that has come on board with us. And this actually suddenly is really expanding quite quickly that we're actually trying to keep up with um, this real children family ministry of uh, it's more than 12 but it started off being working with very small amounts of well, people, it's well, three hundred
2: really because we work at the. Primary. Yeah,
3: like now it's just, but this children's ministry in in um interconnected with our growing faith, over life happens is really really super interconnected, and it's actually out of the growing faith, wherever life happen that this um children's ministry. Is, has really emerged, but they're actually coming together. So. And there's
2: and there's something really just wonderful that's emerging at the moment around around lives that are passionate about working with kids. There's more and more people within our web who are getting this passion to work with kids at a very younger age, like naught to fives, and 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 that is weird because we don't know what it is. But God is. God is raising up these people to do something. And that's how we work. Yeah. People start to get this desire and we just go with God. We pray through it. Not that we need to, because God's already doing it, but we we asking the questions, we're working at wrestling. It
3: out and actually, one of the things I find too in ministry is that God can often place you on a path and then give you whiplash, like as in you think you are on one path and then suddenly it will take a very <laughs> big and and it can it can be like a whiplash, hmm. like what the heck is going on? I thought we we're heading this way and now suddenly are we meant to be heading that way? It hmm. seems like we're supposed to be heading in a total we're facing in a different direction, hmm. and so it. I don't know how you could do ministry without prayer, actually, mm. because prayer, as I said, prayer is our warfare, complete us Lord. Because uh, you just it's you're just totally dependent on that, and just um, and then and trying all, at all times to discern what God is asking of you in that moment, and then being obedient in responding. Mm.
1: You guys, since you guys had two different visions, I would have thought that you would probably find that quite hard, either of you, in regards to where you seen that God was saying that you what would it be like compared to yeah, Pete.
2: Well, we didn't know. We didn't know what it, how it was going to play out. We just were kind of happy that we had these two different visions, and we we're just going to wait and see how it was going to work out.
3: Well, I think for Pete, actually, for me, it actually really required a lot of faith in Pete and trust in what Pete had you know had received like because I hadn't received that and I was trying to discern in my head and try and grasp what was in his head when I had something else so for me that was hard because I really had to depend on and really trust him and kind of be guided by him and um, and he had also, as I said, like as he said, had gone through all of that detoxif- like, detoxifying experience with, the, you know, the Jewishness of Jesus, uh, all of those books that he read on top of his curriculum at college. So he had gone through all of that that was separate from I did not do any of that stuff like a, as far as reading all those books and everything. Um, I was at the same stage on a totally different journey. So it, for me, it was uh, a lot of those first years was actually just re- I, f- I did find it really difficult because I was like, oh, should we be doing this? Should we, like, what about this? Like, it was, <laughs> I was a little bit, I felt sometimes a little bit cray cray. Like, it was a little bit like, oh, should we be more, have more people? Like, should we be doing this? Should we, like, it was just a lot of like, is this right? Like, it but it was trusting him and also trusting the the vision that God had given to him. And now I can really see how um, the greater plan for God is being played out, which is which is actually the vision that He's given for me too. So I can see that all coming together.
1: So, uh, yeah. So I think the important thing out of that is if you're a couple in ministry, you've got to have faith and trust the other person in regards to their vision, even if you're having doubts, second guesses, that, you know, it is what God has called them to do.
3: And patience. I think Pete mentioned that word before is that actually it takes – God works slowly too. Like he works quickly but he's – but. Often God will actually stir and, stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and guide you in a direction, and then things will happen. And but it's actually in the stirring and the sitting and the waiting and and walking in the way that you think He's asking you to go. Um, it can be quite a slow process, and then suddenly He will be. <laughs> he will show up, and then you're like, okay. It's like you know, it's a little bit like. Um,
2: well, the, 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 uh, yeah, the seller Resto actually. car was, was the, a great example of that. We got given this car, and I'm like, God, why have you given us this car? And eight months we sat with it in the shed, just going, What do you want with this, God? And just going, I'm just going, we might as well just give this back. I don't know what's going to happen with this. And then one day it was just bam. I had the local newspaper, opened it up, and it had a picture of a classic car show that was coming up in Drysdale. I had the strongest sensation to call the company that was sponsoring it in town. So I call, gave them a call and they um, and I went over to visit them. And it just so happened when I was visiting, the manager wasn't there and I'm like, oh, great. So I went and just spoke to one of the guys on the registers and he said, oh, you need to go up the road and speak to this car detailer. So I went up the road to speak to this car detailer who who could possibly help, you know, restore a car. I'm like I don't know how because he's a car detailer, and I walk into the car detailer, and he's like, got his jaw dropped, and I was like, oh sorry, what's what have I done? <laughs> have I upset you or something? And he goes, no 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 no. What what do you want? So I told him I'm looking for someone to restore a car. He goes, oh yeah, can you come back tomorrow? So anyway, the next day came and I went back to Auto Pro to see if I could speak to the manager. And I actually did get to speak to the manager, and he's like, "No, nah, I can't help you." So if I'd gone that day, that would have been the end of the story. So I went to Dave, who's at the car detailer, and he's like, I, "I need to tell you something." Ten minutes before you walked in the door yesterday, I was crying out to God, and and then you walked in, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." He goes, "No, you don't understand. Come look at this." So he took me to the back of the workshop, and on the wall was this picture, and it said, "I'm not the F and Salvation Army. If you need help, go see them." <laughs> and the moment he needed help, the Salvation Army walked through the door. <laughs> and so, you know, it was. It just turned out then that you know that night he'd spoken to the guys at the smash repairers and the, the local smash repairers. Um, he said, you know, the, the guy, Dave, at the detailer said, oh, no, I can't help really at the moment. It's not a good time. But I've spoken to them and they're keen to help. So I went across the smash repairers and they're like, yep, we, we want to help. But it just turned out eight months beforehand they changed hands. So if I'd gone there eight months beforehand to the smash repairers, it probably wouldn't have happened. So trusting in God is a big thing and the timing is a big thing and and following his lead at the right time is is so wonderful. But God gets all the glory at the end of it anyway.
1: Thanks for uh, sitting down and having a chat in regards to where you guys are with your faith, faith, what you guys have done in regards to building the community and all that sort of stuff. I think the most important thing we can take out of it is one is – to love the people around you, to show Jesus sort of more, you know, your actions speak louder than your words and people actually reflecting that, but also then having faith and trusting in God in, in regards to what he's going to do. So I think the insight that you guys have brought into your lives that you have and the lives that you live with Jesus and in your community has been fantastic and we want to thank you for sharing your time with us.
0: Well, there you go. That is the story of being a missional community for the Salvation Army on the Ballerine Peninsula. Some great stories and particularly some good insights uh, and really an encouragement for all of us. So I want to challenge you, uh, if you're thinking about officership, thinking about serving, uh, to consider all the creative ways in which God is calling us uh, to activate as the Salvation Army. Uh, Like always, hit us up if you've got questions or comments, um, and we look forward to you uh, dialing in uh, next Thursday. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local Corps Officer or Candidates Secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?